Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. So let's keep um, praying for early snow this year. Um, Because we know that snow is white, and because of Jesus, our sins are white like snow. Therefore, snow is sacred and holy, and we need lots of it. Okay? All right, good. So (laughs) we're... We are at a transition point in the book of Acts, chapter 12. Now, the first 11 chapters are kind of showing that God is uh, on the move, that the church is expanding beyond just the Jews. So it starts in Jerusalem. Um, The disciples are Jewish, but now something is starting to take place um, after chapter 12 where it's going to focus mainly on the Gentiles, which is us those that are not Jewish hearing the gospel message. But the first 11 chapters really come to, um, they they bring to fruition Jesus' words when he said, you're going to be my witnesses all over the place. You are going to be my witnesses. And so we see uh, Philip go to Samaria. We see Peter go to Cornelius' house. We see the church in Antioch um, start to grow, so much so that they sent Uh, apostles or disciples from Jerusalem to Antioch just to make sure things were on the up and up because it was such a a fast growth in the church. And by the time the end of chapter 12 comes, it's only about the Gentiles and how the Gentiles are hearing the gospel and the church is growing. But the beginning of chapter 12, um, Luke gives us a little bit of a glimpse of God's continued support for the church in Jerusalem. That he loves the church there. He will not leave it. He will not forsake it. I I get the sense that Luke is trying to show us the power and the authority that's available to the church through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That there is real, everyday authority and power that we can move in. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read the whole text, and we're going to go back, and uh, we're going to work through it. And I'm going to have Will, once again, because he has good reader man voice. King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he was, I'm sorry, when he saw that this met approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. 
The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by, it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went, on, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came in an to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept on insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and, other, and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined cross the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So chapter 12, right out of the box, we see that the church is under persecution. And if you don't know the rest of the story, I, I can imagine what the church feels like. Remember that this is just not... Uh, uh, written on paper that people experienced what was going on. And, and I have to imagine that at this point, the church feels a little bit um, weakened. They're not sure what to do. Uh, they can't really do anything to protect themselves because they're going up against Rome, first of all, and traditional Judaism, which, which wants to uh, kind of lessen this whole movement of Jesus and these, these Christians that are just kind of um, causing a lot of tension in Jerusalem. The first five verses, Ethan, there you go. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some belonging to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James' brother John put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, 
he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I think to get a full picture of what's going on here, let let me give you a little background on this guy, Herod, King Herod. Uh, Herod's father was murdered by Herod's grandfather, who was Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was the same guy that uh, was threatened by the birth of Jesus and ordered all the, the male babies that were born within two years all killed. And so he doesn't, this Herod, our Herod, doesn't really have a positive role model family lineage to, to go off of. So Herod is this, our Herod, he's sent to Rome to be educated. He becomes kind of part of the, uh, of the, of the royal family of the Caesar's household, and, and he's kind of welcome there. But, he, but he's a little bit of a playboy, so he's going out, he's spending money that he doesn't have. In fact, he gets into trouble with creditors, and he runs away to hide in Palestine. And so he's in Palestine, he's hiding, he's broke, he has no friends, he's left his, his, uh, his people in Rome, and he's living in, in poverty. He's living a very humble life. It's not so glamorous. So he decides to go back to Rome. Now he gets back to Rome, and Tiberius is emperor. Tiberius throws him in jail because, well, he said some not nice things about Tiberius, and Tiberius is a little bit thin-skinned, so he throws him in jail. Now Herod, our Herod, this Herod, he has hit rock bottom. He is in jail. Well, as time goes on, Tiberius dies. Our Herod, his friend Caliglia, Calig- that guy, he gets into power, frees Herod, gives him gold, and gives him a couple providences to kind of rule over in, in Palestine. Well, Caliglia dies and Claudius becomes emperor. And so now our Herod, he takes up uh, both Judea and Samaria as his, his um, ruling Um, his ruling territory. This is where he's going to have power. But all through the way, he has only known uh, depravity, murder, all kinds of just mean, nasty, ugly things that were taking place during this time. And so this is our Herod. And not only that, he was a politician. So when he was in Rome, he would do as the Romans do. Maybe that's where the phrase came, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, because that's what Herod would do. He would look very Roman. But by the time he got back to Judea, he would look like one of the Jews. And so he would live like one of the Jews. He would take part in the traditions and the, and the sacrifices. Because he was a politician, he was a people pleaser. He wanted to make sure that he was was kind of all things to all people, but he really only did it so he can hold on to power and keep his popularity up with whatever group of people he was with. When he was in Rome, it was to keep his popularity up with the Romans. When he was with the Jews, the same thing. He did everything to make sure that he would maintain power to continue his life of depravity. Now, during this whole time he's doing all these things, the church is growing, and Herod kind of sees this as a very divisive movement. It's causing trouble within, within traditional Judaism, and so he decides that he is going to have to put a stop to this, and he starts to arrest people. He starts to persecute them. In fact, one of their leaders, James, would be killed. James is the brother of John. 
He was executed by the sword because that's how you killed apostates. That's how you killed, that's how the Jews would kill people who walked away from the Jewish faith. You would die by the sword. So James is dead. Peter is in jail. And the church is feeling just a little bit helpless about what they can do. I can imagine what John must be going through. John and James were very close. We see it in the scriptures. They were considered the the sons of thunder. In fact, it was their mom who said, Hey, Jesus, I need need one of my sons on the right of you, one on the left when you come into your kingdom because, well, they're my sons. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, not really. So so this is is John and James. And and, uh, John has lost his brother, Peter, is in jail. This is all taking place at Passover, the time that Jesus was arrested, crucified, and rose from the dead. And so all of this is taking place uh, for the early church. And it it had to be very, very overwhelming. One of their leaders was killed because of his faith. Another one has been jailed because of his faith. It doesn't look like for the church there is any light at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever been in that situation? Like, it's all gone really, really bad, and there is no light at the end of your tunnel. You've come, you've come to the end of yourself. You've come to the end of what the world kind of tries to get you hooked into, hooked onto, um, and, and it just, nothing is working out. And you, and you just don't know where to go, what to do, who to turn to, and all you have left is to pray. See, that's what the early church, all they had left was prayer. When they could do nothing in the physical, they went and earnestly prayed. You know, what's, what's challenging to me in the church is there are many that will only pray when they're in trouble. They will only pray when things are going bad and when things are going difficult. And they miss the other side, the, the power and the beauty that is in, in prayer. All too often we, we, we live our lives and we like to season our lives with just a little prayer and we sprinkle a little bit on top and we, and you know, we just kind of move through life and, and when we see a need to pray, we pray instead of sprinkling our prayer with life. See, we should live our lives out of a place of prayer, not live our prayer. Wait, how am I going to say this now? Wait, 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 wait. This was good. I wrote this down. Out of prayer, we would live our lives. Not out of our life would we just decide to pray. Is it a priority? Is it your lifeline? Is it more important than anything else? Your relationship with God. Like, I can imagine how ridiculous it must have looked for the early church Um, For those outside, just kind of seeing that they're being persecuted, they're getting picked on. They don't like these Christians, and all they got is prayer. All they can do is pray, really. I mean, we have taken down one of your leaders. We've jailed another one, and 
he's probably going to meet the same fate, and all you got is prayer. I mean, you should be, you should be uh, planning a prison break or at least a basic uprising. I mean, they were used to uprisings in Jerusalem. Do something to get your guy out, but just to pray? Really? That's it? That's all you got, church, is prayer. Now, I know most of us sitting in church world this morning would never say that kind of out loud, like, prayer. But I'm wondering, is the way that we live our lives actually saying that exact thing? Prayer. I mean, we're too busy to really pray consistently in a disciplined way. I have a lot going on. I got the job. I got the house. I got the kids. I got the sports. I got to go here. I got to go there. I, I like my favorite show on Thursday night. I can't miss that. And, and, and the list goes on and on and on that we put all of these things in front of praying, in front of prayer. Well, not so much for the early church because that's all they had. They prayed earnestly. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That word earnestly means to stretch or to strain. They were, pray, they were straining in prayer. There was, there was intensity. There was passion. They realized that was all they can do is go to the Lord and pray on behalf of Peter, who is probably going to meet the same fate as James. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that the angel, what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by, by itself, and they went right through. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And so here it goes. Peter's time is, is coming near. The kangaroo court was soon to be in session, and he was probably, again, going to meet the same fate as James. He's, he's chained between two guards. Herod does not want to lose this guy. He's a political people pleaser. He saw how pleased the Jews were when James died, and so he's got another leg up with this guy, Peter. He is going to score some points. And Peter, Peter is in jail. He knows that James was killed. He knows that there's persecution going on. And Peter is sleeping in jail. Now, I have to imagine that Peter got locked up. He's chained to the guards. He probably told them about Jesus. They might have told him to shut up. I don't know. I wasn't there. And Peter probably prayed. And after Peter prayed, Peter Piper prayed. <laughs> never mind. Um, after Peter prayed, say that 10 times fast, he fell asleep. And then an angel appears. Like in the physical, an angel appears to him. 
Now, he must have been in a deep sleep because the angel has to tell him, all right, get up, put your pants on, put your flips, oh, no, other feet. I'm sure Peter is dying for a cup of coffee at this point because it's early. He's all foggy. He thinks he's seeing a vision. And, and, and the chains drop off. They walk past the guards. The gate opens, and out they go into the street. And poof, the angel is gone. See, no matter what we go through in this life, God and his angels are present and they are ministering to his people. No matter what we go through in this life, God and his angels are ministering to his people. God can deliver us from everything and anything if he chooses, and that's the tension of our faith. Because James was killed, Peter would be rescued. Peter was rescued by God sending an angel. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Angels. I want to show you this little video I found. Actually, Ethan, would you play the video? That's not it. Here we go. Turn now to a story that some say is a true miracle. A woman trapped in the wreckage of a car crash as rescue workers try in vain to free her like an answer to a prayer. Help arrives just in time, but that is the beginning of the mystery. ABC's John Muller has the story. This morning, a small Missouri town is looking for the man in this sketch. He's not suspected of a crime, but a miracle. I think that this time I've actually witnessed... A guardian angel at work. Sunday morning, a drunk driver hit Katie Lenz head-on, pinning the 19-year-old in the front seat of her convertible. Her vital signs failing fast, she asked rescue crews to pray with her. That's when first responders say a man who looked like a Catholic priest seemed to appear out of nowhere, despite a two-mile perimeter blocking the scene. He began to pray and use the anointing oil. There was a calmness that, come, that to me seemed to come over the entire scene. Another seemingly divine detail, firefighters say their equipment kept failing until that mystery man showed up. The words were to remain calm, that our tools would now work. Instantaneously at that moment, our neighboring department arrived with fresh extrication tools. Lenz was saved, but when Cruz turned around to thank the man, he'd vanished. This morning, Lenz is recovering in the hospital with broken legs and ribs. But some say it could have been worse, if not for that seemingly heavenly hero on the highway. Whether it was just a, a, a priest as an angel, serving as an angel, or an actual angel that came in, he was an angel to, to all those and to Katie. For Good Morning America, John Muller, ABC News, New York. There are stories after stories of people experiencing the ministry of angels. I don't want to sound all weird and, and freaky on y'all, but, but there are stories of missionaries being protected in their hut from, from uh, tribes that want to come kill them by men dressed in, in white gowns. Angels 
walking the earth. Jacob in Genesis, he goes to sleep and he sees this ladder going up into heaven and on that ladder coming up and down, he's seeing angels. Heaven meeting earth. God sending ministering spirits to serve uh, to, to uh, minister, to serve those who would inherit salvation. Jacob saw the connection between heaven and earth. Peter came to himself and the, realizes that the Lord sent his angel and rescued him. Peter has seen heaven invade earth. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 that we, the church, are citizens of heaven. That means that we have rights as citizens of heaven, that we have an authority as being citizens of heaven, and God will give us supernatural help. And so there's movement, God invading this time, this space for our good. See, if you ever think for a moment that God can't help or if you ever uh, think for a moment that God doesn't understand what you're going through, you, have, you, have, you don't know God. You have a bad theology because he can do everything and anything. <laughs> okay, ready? Here we go. I believe that if the Lord gave us eyes to see into the spiritual realm right now, we would see angels ministering in this room in ways to us that we don't understand or we don't know for our good. This is who our God is. Well, as the story goes on, When this had dawned on him, we're talking about Peter, who realizes that he was just saved by an angel. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Grab your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. So Peter heads to his friends, probably knowing that they are gathered there, that this is, was a, a meeting place for them. And they were praying for him, earnestly agonizing over prayer for Peter, that I'm sure that he would be released, or if he wasn't going to be released, then, then that he would die with courage and, and uh, with, with some character or integrity. I, I don't know. I, 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 it, it frustrates me, even in my own prayer life, where I give this caveat, Father, this is what I want, but if it's not according to your will, then I'll take something less. When the scripture, James says that we don't have because we don't ask. And so they're praying for Peter. This girl answers the door. And what I find interesting is all these people gathered, they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. They don't believe that God has answered their prayer. They, don't, they think it's a ghost. They already think Peter has been killed. 
there's an unwillingness in them almost to believe that God has intervened. See, the power of prayer by Jesus' followers is more powerful than kings, Caesars, nations, presidents, rulers, anything on this world. The prayer of a follower of Jesus has more power than anything in this world could ever muster up. That's the power of the church. Fervent Holy Spirit-inspired prayer for, from those who have received the righteousness of Christ through faith. Power in prayer. God can do anything he wants at any time. And I don't have any real theology to back this up, but it seems there are some things he only answers when it comes in the context of us praying to him. But I know that he wants us to be reassured of his unchanging, consistent power. In fact, shortly God is going to demonstrate his power again when Harry gets all full of himself and then the angel of the Lord comes upon him, strikes him down, and he's eaten by worms. I ha- have you ever thought about what those worms look like? They ate a dude. I mean, if I had a few maggots on me, I'd just be shushing them off like that. These worms ate him. The power of God. Consistent, un changing see some of some of us in this room right now need to get reacquainted with your position that you have in christ who you are in him the power that's available to you i know that when life gets crazy and and things get intense and difficulties come in we begin to it begins to erase um uh, our grasp on who we are in Christ, the authority and the power that's available to us in Christ. It feels sometimes like our lives get derailed and we forget all of the stuff that God has promised us in this book, promised us in these pages. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us as orphans. We are citizens in heaven. We have the righteousness of Christ. He is in control of all things, even when things feel like they're out of control. See, the question is whether we believe that or not. Do you believe God is in control? Do you live your life believing God is in control? Or is it just words that come out of your mouth? Do you believe that there are angels, angels serving you each and every day? Saving you from who knows what. And do you believe that prayer taps into the power of God? That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Prayer taps into that power and can manifest in the believer's life. There's a story... Before World War II, it was in a small town in Texas, there was a fire in one of their schools. And uh, fire takes place. 263 kids were, were killed in that blaze. It was this horrible tragedy. And so the town just kind of, uh, though it didn't disappear, just kind of folded in on itself. And, and World War II happens. By the end of the war they decide to 
rebuild the school, uh, hoping to rebuild the town. And so they rebuild this school, state-of-the-art for during that time, late 40s. And they put in a brand-new, state-of-the-art fire system, fire sprinkler. They were not going to allow the tragedy that took place years before to ever happen again. Well, the, the, the town, the school gets finished, the, the town starts to get traction, and people start moving back into the town. More kids are coming in, more families are coming in. The school is getting uh, filled more and more, so much so that only after seven years, they had to add on to that school to make sure that they can accommodate all these new kids coming in. Well, they start to do the construction, they get everything all kind of situated, and they realized that for the last seven years, the state-of-the-art sprinkler system was never hooked up to any water. And so this big, beautiful, life-saving apparatus was powerless because it was not hooked up to its power source. How sad it is for a Christian not to be hooked into our power source. I mean, and the hookup is easy. Faith and prayer, that's it. Faith and prayer. And we are hooked in to a source of power that goes beyond our understanding, that can free people literally from a real prison, chains dropping off, doors swinging open, walking right past the guards who are standing there watching, not seeing. James would say in chapter five of his letter that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that righteousness isn't our own It's the righteousness that's been given to us by faith in Christ. And so how are we living our lives in the assurance that God is on the move, that he has sent us an angelic force, our God of angel armies, an angelic force that is doing battle for each and every one of us right now in the heavenly realm, in a spiritual realm that we cannot see? Are we willing to tap into the power through faith? Are we willing to tap into that power through prayer? God still wants to do what he did for Peter in the world today. I think we get stuck as Christians in kingdom mediocrity. Meaning we're just, we're just okay with going through the motions and, and kind of just doing life. And we never tap into the power that will manifest God's amazing plan for each and every one of us in this room. That God has a plan and by faith through prayer, he will unleash it on you and then unleash, unleash you to the world. So, Father, we thank you for this story, the story of power and prayer, the story of your angels saving your people. 
Lord, would you give your church a passion, a starvation for prayer? That we would be physically uncomfortable unless we pray. That we would be emotionally uncomfortable unless we pray. Physically uncomfortable unless we pray. Will you show each and every one of us the importance of that connection to you, that we need to plug into you our power supply so that we can live a life worthy of the kingdom and that our lives would have eternal consequences for all of those around us. And so now, Lord, please empower your church. Forgive us for all the stupid things that we do. Would you empower your church? Pour out grace upon us so that we could be graceful people. Show us the mercy that you've given so that we could be merciful. Give us a glimpse of how much we are loved so that we can go out and love those around us. And would you please, Lord, ignite a passion for prayer in your church. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you guys. And I'll see you next week.